Thanks, Robert. <clears throat> I think pastoring is kind of a hard job, right? I was thinking about those those shows, you know, where they are catching lobster up there in Alaska. It's supposed to be the most dangerous job in the world. Have you ever seen those? I was thinking maybe being a pastor might be even more dangerous, especially in the day we're living in, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, last week I mentioned uh, this guy who does, his name's Michael, who does the on the street corner, uh, the signs. Uh, he wanted me to thank you guys. Some, uh, apparently, some people from River Life came out last Saturday and, uh, you know, joined them in uh, what we would call uh, really peaceful activism, uh, which I was really happy to hear y'all did that. Um, I mean, that's not for everybody, obviously, to do stuff like that, but, you know, that was really cool. So thanks for doing that. I don't, he, I'm sure he'll do some more, and we'll let you know when. Um, he's a really a great guy, real humble man. I mean, I, I'm very, I was very impressed with that guy when I talked to him. I, he was a worshiper. I think I mentioned that. That's what really impressed me. Like, that guy's a real worshiper. So, Also, uh, they were talking about this Benham guy. I don't know if y'all know about those guys. Those guys are amazing. Uh, they are really great communicators. They were like athletes, uh, pro- you know, professional athletes, baseball players, um, and real successful business people and gave up uh, they had an opportunity to be on HGTV and when HGTV people found out about their beliefs they went to them and wanted them to kind of soften what they believed especially around the abortion issue and they wouldn't do it and they gave up millions and millions of dollars and the Lord's really blessed. And we've heard them speak, and they really are great speakers. Um, and, you know, Love Life, uh, from my understanding, Justin, the guy who started Love Life, the way he, the Lord spoke to him, he went to a, like a, a businessmen's meeting with the Benham guys and came away from that meeting, where, and God really spoke to his heart about that eventually it became Love Life. So there's a really, a, I think, a, a tremendous anointing on these guys. And they're really, uh, I don't know, I was out for part of her announcement, but they're really real focused on, you know, just uh, family and just, you know, living right. right? <laughs> not not being a, a, the guy said yesterday uh, at, Ron, at, Ron, at the service, uh, which was the sort of the theme of the whole thing, I felt like is uh, stop being a drain and, become a fountain you know I thought that was like wow that's a good word for everybody and and so these I feel like these guys are fountains honestly they're not they're not drains they're at bringing something really good and, and it's not mean you know some Christians can, can can get mean about stuff we're renouncing being mean you know we're we're gonna if speak of the truth and love I think it's what the Bible tells us to do. I think we can do that. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I had church already. I said, I'm like, man, I can go home. I'm filled up. I'm full of the Holy Ghost, and I can just go on, and uh, wow, it's so good. You know, you know, there's a glory of the Lord that's, uh, that most of us don't, we always think about the glory of the Lord on the mountaintop, right? Yes or no? Y'all got to talk to me. 
So that's what we always pursue is that glory. And that is a beautiful glory to pursue. But there's also another glory that a lot of people don't uh, are not able to engage in. It's a glory in brokenness. It's a glory in weakness. In fact, Paul says, when I'm weak, he's strong. And it's hard to em- em- embrace that. But I think, you know, when, when, as our lives, when our lives come to an end, when we look back on our lives, I think the thing that may be mean, most meaningful for, for us is not necessarily our great high mountaintop victories, but it was those moments of brokenness. It was those moments where we found God in a deep, dark place, and He was there with us in those places. Not that we are asking to go to those places, but there's a sweetness of the Lord. I think the Bible calls it, uh, you know, be, uh, knowing the sufferings of Christ, where we enter into a, a measure of suffering that there's a glory in. Amen? Well, I know you don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. But I'll tell you something I think is really important, and I do think the weakness is something that God wants us to not to run away from but to embrace Him in it. Amen? Okay. Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to read. Man, I've been doing this. I was thinking about this. I've been doing these book revelation things since last year. I think, what in the world is wrong with me? I can't get through these things, and it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, there was Christmas, and there was other people that spoke, and, you know, all that good stuff. So that's why it's taking so long. I know I had no plan to do any of this. I have no plans. You know, every plan I have, God seems to have a different plan. But, um, you know, I told you, I'm going to tell you again, I don't mind repeating this. Do you all mind, mind? I started this because I was looking for answers from the Bible. Answers for the world we live in. Answers for how... Uh, we as a church can move forward. Answers on how to, to be a, a pastor in the world we're living in today. Because honestly, I wasn't finding the answer in, in, in other places. I wasn't finding it in the Christian world. I wasn't finding it in the answers today. You hear what I'm telling you? What worked yesterday may not work today. You know, the, the, our, the, our Great things that God did was beautiful for that time, but perhaps those things have come to an end and God has something different for us. And so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the answers for the day and how we can move forward as a people in the world we live in because our world is changing and our world is shifting. It really is. And, and I don't think there's any going back. I really don't. I don't. And I think it's foolish for us to try to go back. I think it's wise for us to move forward into what God has for us, you know, and I do believe there's answer, answers in these, in, in all, throughout the Bible, I believe there's answers in all these seven churches. I mean, the Lord's really spoke to me, and, and perhaps when I get to the last one, which is next week, maybe, Laodicea, is I will, after that, tell you, I actually have seven things I feel like the Lord specifically spoke to me about what I need to do as a leader and as a pastor that I'm working on because some of them seem a little offensive. I don't really like making people mad. Well, I want to read this one. Today we're talking about the book of, uh, not the book, the Church of Philadelphia. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, Philadelphia freedom. We got a Philadelphia, right? The Philadelphia Eagles. 
Yeah, and it's just a beautiful thing. I would never forget the first time I went to Philadelphia. It was in the middle of the winter, and I thought, yeah, wow, this is terrible. There's these piles of black stuff in parking lots on the side of the road. But you could drive there. That was something different from here when it snows. But it was really cold, cold there. I can remember going, trying to go jogging that cold weather. I couldn't do it. It's like, I, got, I, can't, I can't be out here. But anyways, you know, the Lord spoke to me in Philadelphia. Uh, I have a very powerful experience with the Lord when he spoke to me about being in the ministry. I'll never forget it, sitting in a, in a hotel room by myself, just praying and asking the Lord about my future. And, you know, there's a scripture in Corinthians where Paul said he'd received, he'd received mercy and, he'd, and because of that mercy, he, was in, he had received a ministry. And the Lord spoke to me at that moment, the same, same kind of thought, that there was a mercy coming upon my life. And with that mercy, there would be a ministry that God would release in my life. That was a long time ago. I'll never forget it for, because it was one of those moments that I look back to when I want to run away. And like, can I do something different for my life, Lord? You know? <laughs> Y'all ain't got no sense of humor this morning. <laughs> Y'all kind of being bored. Okay, I'm going to do this. It says in verse, uh, Revelation 3, 7 through 9. And by the way, the only word I have ever gotten from anybody about our church from the book of Revelation was this one. We have a good friend named David Harwood. And he came to this church years ago. And when he got ready to go, he said, Byron, I got a word for the church. You're like the church of Philadelphia. Okay? Well, there's no rejo- there was no rejoicing when I went back and read. Like, what? You know? He said, but the Lord is going to give you an open door that nobody can close. And I believe that has been a truth. Yeah. And so it says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David... He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength. That's what I didn't like about that word. Everybody say little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to and, and to know that I have loved you. Isn't that beautiful? That's such a beautiful thing. Well, there's only two churches out of the seven churches where the Lord didn't bring a correction to. It was Smyrna, which we talked about a while back, and Philadelphia. He had no, all the other churches, he had a correction. He said some, some awesome things to them, but he also brought a correction to them. But for these two churches, he didn't bring a correction at all because there was nothing for him in his eyes to correct in, in his eyes, they were beautiful. Um, and also, the other common uh, denominator between these two, between Smyrna and uh, Philadelphia, is both were being, uh, uh, the, there was this synagogue of Satan that was going after them. So both of them were being oppressed, both of them were being attacked by a synagogue of Satan, which, you know, there's different means. So there's a, there's a commonality. These were oppressed people. Jesus says, you have little strength. You know, last week I talked to you about uh, the church at Sardis and how Sardis was the most popular, biggest, beautiful of the churches out of the seven churches, but it was a dead church. It was alive on the outside, but it was a graveyard, literally. 
is what it really was. It was full of corpses. And, and apart from just a few believers in that church, that church had been wiped off the face of the planet a long time ago. And, but, but the church of Philadelphia was, was opposite. It was the smallest of all these churches. And it was the church that was shut in one sense in the culture they live in, they were completely shut, shut out of the culture. They were completely shut out. And so they were, they were these oppressed people. And that's why Jesus began to speak to them that he was going to open something for them uh, that was really beautiful and powerful. Um, and I think for every person who's ever felt left out, I don't know if you've ever felt left out of anything in your life. Okay, but I think most people have felt left out at some point in their life or felt like they were on the outside looking in and wanted to be in, but they couldn't get in. They didn't know how to get in. They didn't fit in. They were. This is a church. This is something that God would say to you because this is the people they were. They were those people. As far as their culture was concerned, they were shut out. But the Lord was coming to them and telling them, although you're shut out, I'm going to open something for you that, that no one can open. Are y'all following this? So... They were, not, they were a church with very little resources. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of connections. Uh, you know, I've, all, I've imagined it like this. Uh, none of their leaders were being invited to speak at the next great conference. Uh, nobody was coming to study how this church was so they could emulate them in the latest church growth thing that was happening. So... And nobody was trying to get a copy of their of their Sunday morning messages. You know, they didn't have a you know following out there. They had a family. And it was a small family, but it was a very powerful family. So it was a church of humble people and humble leaders. That's really what that church was. And by the way, it is one church that still exists to this day. It's a, still a church in this very city. They don't call it Philadelphia. They call it something else. And it's still a small little... And this is in Turkey, y'all. This is in a Muslim-dominated country. But there's a small little church there that has lasted all these couple thousand years. Because the Lord said, I'm going to open a door that nobody can shut. And I believe that church will be there to, to, to Jesus steps back down on the Mount of Olives. You know? It's so beautiful a thing. Well, here's another unique thing about this church that's stunning to me uh, is, you know, in each church, Jesus introduced himself, and I'm going to repeat myself again, uh, you know, the way Jesus reveals himself to you is the way he wants you to know him. Remember that? I've told you all that like seven times. Yeah, it's so important in your life. Because if Jesus is coming to you and he's revealing him, you as the God of all comfort, be careful. Right? Because there's some need for comfort. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Okay, Y'all. <laughs> but if he comes to you as the God of revival, get happy. <laughs> Lots of times we act like we're in revival when Jesus is not even showing up as the God of revival. He's showing up as the God of war. You see what I'm saying? Or something, or the God of something else. See, so it's for each church, Jesus revealed himself. In each one, he took something out of chapter 1 that when John began to write about Jesus, 
he took one of those descriptions of Jesus out of chapter 1. Remember, I told you there were a bunch of descriptions of Jesus in chapter 1. And Jesus used those descriptions when he would go to those churches for each of these churches, except for the church of Philadelphia. Because he never said a word. There was nothing in the first two chapters of Revelation about the key of David. So this church got something special. This church got something unique that the other churches didn't get. Are you see what I, see what I'm saying? And so that's really what I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about is about that phrase, the key of David, because I think it's a really important phrase for the hour we're living in. It's the key, of, the key of David. Um, I wanted to just tell you a few things um, about David. Are y'all following this? Uh, obviously, isn't that though? Isn't that amazing, y'all? I mean, to me, that's an amazement that Jesus did that to this church. I mean, that is not an accident. That was very purposeful on his part to do that. And he wanted us to see that. He wanted us to know that. He wanted to draw us into something on that. And so here's, here's an amazing thing. Of course, we all know that King David was, is one of the most significant people in the Bible, right? We all, you'd have to be, a, you know, even the people in the world know that, that know about David, uh, you know, actually, his name occurs in the Bible around 1,100 times. He is one of the most talked about persons in the entire Bible. In fact, he may be mentioned and talked about more than the Lord himself. Directly, you know, obviously the Lord indirectly is talked about the most of everything. But really the top three is, is uh, David, Jesus, and Apostle Paul. Those are the ones who got the most press in the Bible. So that should should uh, tell us something, right? And David shows up, listen to this. David shows up in some of the most critical moments of the New Testament. Okay, not only we have all this beauty of the Old Testament, think about his Psalms. His Psalms are amazing. He wrote about half the Psalms, about half of them. That's about 75 Psalms that David wrote. And many of those Psalms describe the suffering and agony and victory of Jesus. So David had an amazing revelation of Christ to be such an Old Testament guy. He carried something that nobody else in the Old Testament. David was an Old Testament guy that acted like a New Testament guy. He related to God like a New Testament man would. You know, he broke rules that God, God let him get away with it. Because God saw something in David. God had, there was something about David that was profound that we all could glean from. The New Testament, like a, and now I'm going back to the New Testament. I just wanted to say that because it's just such a powerful thing. But the first verse in the New Testament mentions David. It says, this is what the first verse says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the book of, of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes on. Uh, his name shows up in many of Jesus' powerful healings that he did. One of the most powerful healings was this man named Bartimaeus. I'm sure many of you remember the story of blind Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10. Here's a beggar, a blind man on the side of the road, crying out to the Lord. People were admonishing him, telling him to be quiet, shut up, stand down. 
And he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the moment he, Jesus heard that with his ear, he stopped dead in his tracks and said, Bring that man to me. Bring that man to me. Because Son of David means king. One of the, uh, I think there's about a dozen, maybe less than a dozen, titles in the uh, New Testament about David, uh, which has this word of, like I just read one of, uh, Jesus, son of David. There's other ones like the sure mercies of David, uh, the key of David, the seed of David. It's over and over. The first message preached on Pentecost, Peter draws on the life of David, mentions David, quotes David. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Paul goes out on his first missionary journey. The first recorded message of Paul the Apostle on the first missionary journey that the church ever really had in Acts 13. He quotes David. He speaks of David. It's powerful, isn't it? The church is in a crisis moment. Many people are coming into the kingdom of God slowly, but they're not Jewish people. They're Gentiles. They're, they're, they're people who are, have indulged in, this, in, in another kind of sin. And they had no regards for any laws of God. And there were people from the church telling these people, these new believers, these Gentile believers, telling them that you gotta, you got to follow the law. you got to do these things that will keep you. you got to follow the Ten Commandments. you got to do all these things because if you don't, you're going to sin. And so there was this big meeting, this big council in Acts 15, it's the Council of Jerusalem. It's one of, the, one of the great decisions ever made in the Bible that set the course to release humanity from the law. It was when the church decided we're not going to preach Moses anymore. And guess what they quote? They begin to talk about the tabernacle of David at that meeting. And about what God wants to do, what God wants to raise up in the earth. Because the tabernacle of David was, like I said, it was something against the rules And when David did it. It was against the rules of God that you can't, anybody can't just go and meet God. And David made it where any person could go and meet God. You didn't have to have a priest. You didn't have to go through certain things to get there. Just get there. And he set it up where he invited everybody in. And James, I believe, was the one who was declaring God is going to raise that up in the earth again. It was a strategic moment in the church's life, a major moment in the church's life. And David is showing up. See, there's more to this thing than we really see. There's more that God wants us to know than that we know and that's why when he came to this church, when he said that key of David thing to him, it was something deeper than we realized. It's something more profound that we, than we know at this moment. So, anyways, here's a beautiful one. In Revelations 5, 5, this is happening in heaven, y'all. John's in heaven at this point. Not, not died and go to heaven. He was called into heaven. Wow. 
right? We were, we were, for some moments here, standing on that place in heaven that we, we talked about that at Larry's house the other night. The sea of glass, the sapphire sea where worship takes place. I felt that while we were worshiping. I felt, oh my gosh, we're, we're getting there. One of these days, everybody in this room is going to stand on that. One of these days, we're all going to stand in heaven, y'all, on a sapphire sea. And we're going to be facing the throne of God. And we're going to see the face of God. We're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be worshiping Him. One of these days. But you know what? I believe now, by faith, we can go to that place. I really believe that for all my heart. And that was, I'm just going to repeat this one thing I shared from Larry's group the other night. As, as many times we come to church on Sunday morning. I, I know I do. And, and we're distracted. We're, we're frustrated. We got in a fight on the way here with our spouse. You know, I, me and Becky got in one of our biggest fights one time when we were going to one of our greatest meetings where God was moving power. We fought like dogs and cats all the way here. You'd have thought God would have kicked us out the door, you know, because we were so fighting. But there's so many times we come and we allow everything to distract us. We allow our feelings. Oh, I don't like that song or I'm not feeling it. Or, But when we begin to, in our minds, if we would just begin to shift and begin to think about in heaven at that moment, people are standing before the Lord, honoring Him and worshiping Him. And we can enter into that place even today, even now. And I believe there's going to come a moment, I honestly believe this, when we will literally experience that. I'm, I'm aiming for that before I get there, before I move there for good. I'm aiming to see it on this in this place where no longer I'm down here looking at carpet, but I'm standing on a sapphire sea and worshiping there and seeing things I've never seen before. I don't know if y'all believe in that kind of stuff, but you should. I'm just going to tell you that. If you don't believe in that kind of thing, you better start believing it. Because you might find yourself wanting to go there. And one day you're going to go there. One day you're going to spend your eternity when God's going to have special moments. I can just imagine this. I'm gotten off track. <laughs> I can just imagine. We're in heaven and we have roles and jobs to do in heaven. But then we get a call. Come, come to the throne Come to the sapphire sea. There's a special time where God gathers his huge family together for us to come and worship him and hear what he has to say. No longer will y'all have to put up with me. You'll get to hear him say it. That'll be a good day, right? But Lord, let us experience it now. Let, let us have the voice of God. That's what I'm aiming for. I want the voice. Well, Anyways, I got distracted there. I'm sorry. Larry, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Revelation 5 5 says this. The line, which is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is opening the scrolls of God's end time purposes. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. See, there's a critical moment in humanity's history where David shows up again. Isn't that beautiful? Well, let me just read this one last one. I just love this. Think about this. The second to the last thing that's wrote in red in your Bible, 
listen to this. This is the second to the last thing. There's one more thing that's in red. But this is right down here to the end of the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Isn't that beautiful? That's the closing of the Bible. That's the ending of the Bible. One of the last things that Jesus says about himself in the scriptures is that. Isn't that beautiful? So we know the, that God, the Holy Spirit, wants us to know that David is a key to knowing Jesus Christ. That he's given us, he's given us David. He's given us his human being to help us. I've spent so much time doing this, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Let me read this. I want to read this one verse. I, just, I got two verses I want to read to you this outside of Revelation that just really speaks to my heart just over and over. Every time I read them, I feel like, Lord, that's what I want. This is what I want. Sorry, not sorry. And this is part of Paul's message, this, his first spoken, recorded message of the Apostle Paul. When he was down in, in uh, Antioch, Poseidon, I think is the name of it. And he's speaking about Saul being a bad, bad dude. He was a bad guy. He started out well, King Saul, but he didn't, he didn't hang with the Lord. Well, wasn't that beautiful this morning, that song, that we'd be a fool to give up on the Lord or something like that. That's just beautiful. To give up, I'd be a fool. You know, Saul gave up somewhere in his life. He just gave up. He just gave up, man. He was a fool for giving up because God made him a king. God handed him everything, but, he, but God, wasn't, God didn't act the way Saul thought he should act. God didn't do things the way Saul thought he should do it, and it frustrated him, and Saul didn't know how to humble himself and become little because he started out little, but he didn't stay little. He got big, and he didn't know how to get back to being little. And because he didn't get go back to being little, he didn't really honor the Lord. He began to dishonor the Lord. And eventually the man wound up summoning a witch, going to a witch's house and summoning up a, uh, Samuel from the grave, which that's another story, but that's a bad day, right? But listen to this. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom, he, to whom also he gave this testimony. This is beautiful. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Isn't that beautiful? I found him. In other words, God was looking for somebody. God's looking for people like that. God's looking for people who have that kind of heart in them. It's the heart of King David. It's the heart of King Jesus beating in us. And God's eyes is attracted to that because God's attracted to himself. He's attracted to his image. He's attracted to who he is. And so David truly is a pattern. And then the other one is Psalm 89, 20. I could talk to you a lot about that, what that means to be a person's after God's heart, but I better not because I think there's something more important I need to say this morning. But we should talk about that sometimes because I have thought about that for years. What does that mean, Lord? Because I want to be that guy. I don't want to just be regular. I want to be somebody that has a heart after God. Tell me what in David made him that. What, what does that look like? And even if I don't have that heart in a real way, I'm just going to copy what he did to a habit. I think stuff like that. 
It's by faith, right? But Psalm 89, 20 just says similar. He says, I have found my servant David. Listen, y'all. Y'all, Holy Ghost people should love this one. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. With my holy oil. Don't you want some holy oil flowing? Don't you want an anointing from some holy oil? Don't you want God to pour that oil? I'll never forget. I've shared this for years. Jack Hayward years ago had a vision of Jesus on the throne. And he was sitting. And his robes were full of oil. Like, you know, and it was pockets of oil. And he got up and stood. And when he did, that oil began to flow off in him. And Jack said, it's an end time anointing. That's an end time anointing that God's going to bring on his people. The holy oil that's literally coming. The Bible says in Hebrews that he's been anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. We're his fellows. He has the mighty anointing that will flow down. I see, you know, joy is such a powerful thing. It's not something we had to, that we had to make happen. It's not something, it's something we receive from him. Joy is something we just receive because of our union with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And I believe God's still looking for Davids in this generation to anoint with his holy oil. He's looking for them to fulfill his purposes in this earth, to do what he calls us to do. I believe with all my heart he really is. Amen? So I better finish this. I got to finish. So what is the key of David? Y'all should ask me that. Like, hey, you've gotten so far off the track. So that's another fascinating thing. Like, what the heck does it I have heard multiple teachings in my life because I've searched it out and read so much stuff on this Key of David thing and heard many things. And most of the stuff, I thought, you know what? I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that's right. They're all aspects of this Key of David. Let me tell you where, if you can find that phrase again in Isaiah 22. And this is what it was. It was a guy named Shebna, okay, who was... Like the guy, he was like the steward over David's house. He was the guy who decided who comes in, who goes out, who gets to see David, who doesn't get to see David. If you were going to go have a personal encounter with King David, you had to go for this guy. And this is what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 22. He says, this guy is out. This guy, Shebna, is out. And there's another guy, Elikim, who's in. That Elikim is a, is a picture of Christ. Shebna is a, is a picture of the law. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? It's a picture of the law. That's all that was. It was a, it was a prophetic picture and where, where Isaiah was looking at the, seeing something in the future, although something was happening in the natural. And basically what, but for us, what it means is God was saying the key to God's heart, the key to being in His presence will no longer be the law. It'll be this person called Jesus Christ. That's, just, that's what it means. That's what ultimately that, ultimately, that is the key. Ultimately, Christ himself is the key of David. He is everything. Let me tell you something. You can enter in God's presence today. You do not have to. I, I know a lot of people don't agree with this thought, but they're wrong. You do not have to get clean to go visit God. You don't have, that's stupid. That is really a foolish thought because that has to do with your works. 
You can be the worst sinner in the world and go have a face-to-face conversation with God. You are in, he cleanses you. That's what Zechariah teaches. There was a, the high priest was there and he was in heaven before the Lord and he was filthy. And you know what the Lord says? Clean that man up. Put a new garment, put a new turban on his head, which is his thought, even his thoughts. You think he, your thoughts are bad sometimes, but you can still engage God with your bad thoughts. Don't let your bad thoughts stop you. Let him take your bad thoughts and give you good thoughts. That's the truth, y'all. That's what I'm telling you is true. And we start living that way. We get out of this thing and we got to do something to please God. We got to work at this. We got, there's things we have to do. No, there's not things you have to do. It's done. All you got to do is start believing what's done and by faith step into those things. It'll make a difference. Yes, it will. So that's where this thing came from. I want to just say this quickly. Uh, Christ opened heaven. I'm just going to read what I wrote because I love this. I wrote this. I like this a lot. When Christ breathed his last breath on the cross, heaven was open for all people all the time. Period. It was opened. That thing, heaven's closed, is not true. It's true in your mind. Okay? The veil, this is what it says in Matthew 27, 51. Then behold, this is when Jesus died. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and rocks were split. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says the veil is symbolic of the body of Jesus. When Jesus' body was torn on that cross, that veil between heaven and earth was opened. Are y'all following this? That's the key. Now, this is the next thing, because it didn't stop there. On the day of Pentecost, heaven came down. You see, heaven stayed up there in heaven until Pentecost came. And when Pentecost came, heaven came down. And it ain't never gone back up, I hate to say. It feels like it at times. But see, by faith, we enter into these things. See, Christ has made a way. He's the way. And he's given us this opportunity. So that's part of what, what uh, the Lord was saying. I've opened a door that nobody can shut. I've opened this door and nobody can shut this door. And so, I finish, y'all. Uh, I don't. <laughs> Here, I'm just going to tell you a few doors that the Lord has opened. These are all from the Bible. I've got many uh, references, but I'm not going to give them to you. He opens doors, and Jesus has done this. This is all New Testament. You'll find it's all through the Gospels and in all the letters of, of, of Paul and Peter and John. He opens doors of opportunity, influence, and ministry. Uh, he opens the door in the Spirit that gives us access to the revelation of the Father's heart. He opens, I mentioned this earlier, the end time scroll he opens the end time scroll that are in the Father's hands right this second. He's the only person that can open them. Uh, he opened heaven and released angels to ascend and descend onto the earth. That's why angels are free to roam about here. Because he opened it and they come in and go back up constantly. They're going into your life and they're bringing reports to heaven. They may be telling your departed loved ones what you're doing. 
Like, you know, that Marlon Magusa? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. His uncle might be here, his, his grandpa that's been long gone. Like, what's Marlon doing down there? I need to know. Well, I, I understand angels might be hinting at things to our departed. I guarantee they're giving reports to the Father. Right? Because it says that, uh, in, in, in the gospel that the little children's angels behold the very face of God. That's why you don't mess with little kids. Because his angels have special access. Uh, G- listen to this one, y'all. Jesus is going to open the bottomless pit and throw Satan in there and lock his hide down there where he can't get out until Jesus says, I'll let you out. Isn't that beautiful? That's in Revelations 20. Uh, Jesus also shuts doors. Paul, uh, remember he sought to preach the gospel in Asia, and the Lord said no. He shut that door. But he opened another one for him. So here's a couple other things I wanted to say. Don't be consumed with the shut door. Don't be so consumed with the shut door in front of you that you miss the open door. I think God has shut some doors in the last two or three years. And we wanted to, and we wanted to try to keep open those doors, and we're consumed with that, and, we're, and we may be missing, or we could miss the door that God's going to open for us. That's such an important, important thought. If God shuts a door, nobody can open it. No matter prayer, listen to this, no matter prayer, no matter decree, no matter fasting, no matter what you do, if God shuts that door, it is not going to open, y'all. Now, that's the truth. And I'll tell you another thing. If God opens a the door, there is not a government on the earth can shut it. If he says, I'm opening this door, you can have 5,000 pandemics. If God says, go through that door, go. And they can't shut it. They can't see. We have to begin to see our God like that and live above here. We've got to live above the atmosphere on this world. Not, not, listen, we've got to live, we've got to go beyond the atmosphere in a, in a worship service. Because there's a greater atmosphere. There's a heaven, there's an atmosphere here that God releases heaven to us. But there's a, even a greater atmosphere that's being in heaven worshiping. That we can actually go there and get a hold of that atmosphere. And bring that atmosphere here more. I do believe that. That's what I'm aiming for. Anyways... The question, I'm just reading my notes right now. Y'all don't mind, do you? Uh, I love my notes. The question we, I'm just reading them because I won't, I'll forget them. The question we all must ask, what door or doors is God opening for me? And is there any door I need to stop trying to open? That's the question before us. Lord, show me your doors. And, And let me just let go of all that stuff. Some of you have beat your knuckles bare. I mean, you've clawed on that door. It's got claw marks all over and it still hadn't worked. You've got to stop. Here's something beautiful that the Lord spoke to me one time. It kind of goes along with this. God gave Adam a wife while he slept. And you think banging on that door is going to get you a spouse or get you a job or get you a ministry. Sometimes we just need to go to sleep and rest. And God will give us what he wants us to have. Instead of fighting and kicking and storming. And I believe there's a time for all that. I'm not denying any of that. But there's also a time to rest and receive and let God have his way. Here's what Bob Jones, y'all remember Bob Jones. This is one of my favorite Bob Jones things he told me about his ministry as a prophet. He said, Byron, 
I did not pursue this ministry. I never asked God for it. It never entered my mind. I just happened to be leaning on the right door when it opened, and I fell into all this. I'm thinking, my goodness. And all these people are like, tell me the steps to become a prophet or tell me, you know, or be successful. Lean on the right door. Just lean on the door in front of you. He told Heidi Baker, y'all know this, but I just love, Becky and I were talking about it the other day. Heidi Baker, you know, the greatest missionary on earth now, I think in current earth time, apostle really, that we know about. Yeah, that's true. There's many that are great that when nobody knows about. She's the great one that we know about that God has, you know, given us as an illustration. She wanted to see Bob Jones. She never visited with him. And so she did. And she came into his house and he gave, he, he had a word for her. He said, you need to eat a cookie. Yeah, that was his word. Like, you know, you need to relax, man. Back off a little bit here. And she was like, kind of like, hmm, offended a little. What kind of word is that? What kind of prophet is that? I want me to eat a cookie. <laughs> Finally, she got it. Like, you know, just eat a cookie and relax, and you, you're going you're gonna to last a long, long time. Yep. So I do want to give me five more minutes, can you? Because I do have this one door I need to talk to you about this, that I feel, I feel like I want to talk to you about it. Let me read it to you. It's not in Revelation. It's, in, in, the, it's in, in the Old Testament. Many of you are familiar with this door. It's called the door of trouble. Listen what the Lord said in uh, Hosea 2, verse 14 and 15. Behold, I will allure, allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness. Ooh, don't do that. Please, Lord. I heard about this friend. The Lord spoke to him and said... You're going to go into the wilderness. And he told his wife that. And she said, Nuh-uh. I, I mean, God's going to have to tell me. I ain't going just because he told you. He's got to tell me. So she was at this meeting. This prophetic guy came up to her. And he said, You know what? You need to learn how to drink like a camel because you're fixing to go into a really dry place. Mm, that would be a bad day to get. Don't tell me to drink like a camel, Lord. I don't mind watering them, but, mm, you know, I'm just talking. He's going to lure you into the wilderness. He's going to and speak comfort to her. And I will give you vineyards from there. So something really cool. The valley of Achor. Literally that word Achor means trouble. The valley of trouble. Listen, as a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. As in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And so there's the valley of trouble that can become a door of hope for the people of God because we've been in a valley of trouble, right? Our country's in a valley of trouble. Our world's in a valley of trouble. A lot of people in this room are in a valley of troubles. And so, God wants to cause it to become a door of hope. That's what he wants to do. Y'all remember the song, I'm Trading My Sorrows? That's a really great song. I think sometimes we, we really take the Lord out of our lives. You know, especially when we're 
in troubling times. You ever you ever had something happen to you that was really shameful? I mean, shameful. I know you have. Or maybe you did something that was absolutely shameful. Or have you ever had a tragedy happen in your life? I mean, just something tragic. See, those are, that's trouble. Or the best thing that ever happened in your life. See, I think we can go through this door where we go to the Lord and give him those things. Give him the most shameful thing that ever happened to you. give him the most tragic thing that ever happened to you and that's the only way hope ever really comes and I'll tell you that it's the only and, and the most victorious thing that ever happened to you I think we had to give that to the Lord otherwise that's what we'll always live from and when we begin to give those things to the Lord we go before the Lord and present those things to him and get an exchange from him I think, you know, that's why I said I'm trading my sorrows, that song, for the joy of the Lord. There really is something to making a trade with God. And that's the only way trouble can ever serve you. That's the only way these things, these terrible things that you've gone through, this terrible life that you have, these awful things, the only way they'll ever, ever, ever become a door of hope for you is for you to let him have it, is to give it to him. And ask him to take it and give you something new in your life. To bring you into a new place. To bring you into a place of hope. And bring you into a place of life that you've never experienced. That your last season's greatest victory will not be your ceiling. It'll be your floor. And that's why you had to give your victories even to him. Are y'all following this? So I wanted us to stand up before the Lord this morning. And if you have things in your life that have absolutely crushed you and absolutely destroyed you, or you've done something that has, that's crushed you, it doesn't matter if you did it or somebody did it to you, or you had this tragedy to come into your life, this tragic thing that just broke you. Will those things never serve us. Those things will never bring us to where we're supposed to be. They'll never give us what God wants to give us. We'll never have the life that God wants us to have because those things will hold us back. God has so much more for us. That's why the Bible, I think they read it, they called him the God of all hope. The God of all hope. Even in your worst moment, you could, be a, you could be a pedophile this morning. But if you could go before him and give him that shame that's crushing your soul and eating at you and holding you back, you can walk through that door. And that door that has troubled you 
for these years of your life can turn into hope in your life. Somehow God will do that for you. If our troubles don't take us to the cross, they'll never serve us. They will never give us hope. And we can go before the God of all creation and stand before Him and give Him our ugliest things, our ugliest thoughts. He wants them. He's looking for them. Because when He sees you, He doesn't see that ugliness. He doesn't see your loss. He doesn't see your tragedy. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see all your secret stuff. He sees you as somebody He loves and He wants to help you. That's the, tr- that's the door I think we had to go through. I think all of us had to go through it. I think our country has to go through it. Honestly, y'all, I think that our tr- country, if our country would heal it, hit, humble itself and go to God and say, we've done these things that are hideous, I think our country could turn around in a day. So I just want us to stand before the Lord like, like you're just in your mind. Just say, I'm standing in heaven on that sapphire sea. But this time I'm not standing to worship because I'm here to give something up. I'm here to give away something. I'm here to give away the most shameful thing about me. And I'm here to give away the the tragedy that I've suffered the loss that I've suffered I'm here to give all that away I'm here to even give away my great victories the best there is of me I want to lay it down today I think that song I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord Just go, make that between you and God. Do that. See God. See Him as a Father. See His love. Feel His presence. Feel His embrace. Feel. I mean, seriously, do that, y'all. If you'll do it by faith, just do it by faith, knowing that in that place, you're safe. You're safe. You're secure. Nobody's going to know. He's not going to tell nobody. He's not going to make you pay. He's not going to admonish you. None of that. You're safe with Him. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying Amen.
Oppressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I am blessed beyond the curse, for His promise will endure.